Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is episode 243 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, back again this week. Uh, after Paul and Ryan so valiantly filled in for me, I was not feeling well last week at the last minute, and and you guys held down the fort, so I much appreciate that. Uh, Paul, how's your weekend been? Uh, pretty well. I went to the weirdest kid birthday party where some uh, clever not, not criticizing it so a dad rented out the local high school football field which was very very nice nice turf and literally just had a football practice for 30 um eight-year-old boys on it and then they had like coaches <laughs> there and then they played a flag game all against each other on the real big field so um warm out it, it, that was fun they still had cake and ice cream but never ever would have thought of doing anything like that since it's you know kind of like work not a party right uh however uh, on, on the plus side if i have a stiff wind at my back i can still knock through a 40 yard field goal so happy about that boom made me there made me go. happy there you go definitely good from pat def, def, uh distance then too so oh yeah you're yeah, good yeah. there pat yeah, is yeah. no problem there you go well, that's right, right. an interesting coincidence because speaking of eight-year-old boys, we had uh, a twins, eight-year-old twins staying with us this weekend. Their parents came down. We went to a couple Brewer games. We went to the one on Thursday. They saw a win, and they were so enamored with it, even though we didn't have great seats, that they wanted to go to a second one. So we got really good seats for Saturday and uh, saw a couple Brewers wins and nice. had quite a bit of fun. And for those of you who uh, who follow me on Twitter... You uh, you saw that uh, I purchased what I at the time thought was a pair of Crocs at the game on uh, on Saturday and with a Brewers logo on them. And uh, we've we've had the Croc discussion on here before. I do enjoy Crocs. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You're an old man. Yeah. Mm hmm. But it turns out when I inspected more closely and I it really should have been a tip off that they were only twenty five bucks because like that's 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 (laughs) how much Crocs cost. You cannot get authentic Crocs for twenty. You got knockoff Crocs. You got Knox. Yeah, I got Knox. I got they're 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 Focos. <laughs> they are Focos. Does that stand for Faux Croc? Is that what the company is? Uh, I yeah, something like that. I don't know. I it's uh, <laughs> but you know what? They're comfortable, and I I wore them around a little bit today, and they're going to be just fine. They're they're perfectly cromulent sandals for me to wear so you you, do, you are aware of course the claim to fame of crocs is that they they never pick up odor no matter what and that's why they're good for gardening and for going barefoot so you should be at least a little bit worried about the knockoff crocs <laughs> because if that's no where they cut the corner production. it may be a yeah. problem i mean Oof. they they seem like the same material so i'm guessing it is the same material and i'm thinking that the well it's not like they would necessarily need to make them less expensive but they they don't have that back strap you know the 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 classic croc backstrap. Uh, that's so that, the change. That is okay. the the difference here. So I'm thinking maybe that is the reason that they cost less, other than the fact they're just not the name <laughs> brand. And it, it's not like Croc is actually selling them for you know, what they cost to make them anyway. So whatever. Uh, I'm I'm perfectly still happy with my purchase, <laughs> even though they are they are Focos and not actual Crocs. So they're my my knockoff Crocs. I, I'm having flashbacks to my childhood when my mom would be like, nobody can tell it's not really Adidas. And I'm like, mom, there's four stripes. Everybody knows that's not really Adidas. I need to like <laughs> strip this off so it looks like, ah, man, you, you got the knockoff Crocs going just like I had the knockoff Adidas. I had the same conversation about some Teva sandals when I was about 12 with my mom. <laughs> and and then I proved to be right because they fell apart literally within like four days. Like they, they just right. – they absolutely fell apart and it was like well yeah because they're not actual tevas they're they're knockoffs they're terrible so yes i won that argument in the end all right well uh let's let's talk some baseball i guess the brewers looking less like a knockoff playoff team so uh, hey that's good hey hey. they've turned things around uh but before we get to this week's topics and some good questions a reminder to all of you, if you want to help support us, you can become a patron. That's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. And that will get you the question priority on all of the podcasts in the network. This one and reporting as eligible when Packer season fires back up. Just around Five the bucks corner. A- yeah, surprisingly. I, I mini camps and all that stuff. And, and before we know it, the training camps will be open. It's nuts. Uh, all right. And uh, five bucks a month also. 
I should mention, you get that extra subscriber-exclusive podcast, The Minor League Extra, with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. Uh, still a few weeks away from draft time. It's during the All-Star break this year. But, uh, Ryan, you said you and James are, are planning on recording some sort of draft preview in the next couple of weeks here, right? Yeah, I believe it's the week after this one. I have to double-check. But, yeah, we'll be doing one pretty quick here before I head on vacation. So that is uh, that is definitely the plan. And uh, I'm, I've been digging in and doing research. And turns out that basically what you need to know about this draft is that there are an absolute ton of prep hitters uh, that are at the top. Some college hitters, but mostly prep hitters. And that all the pitchers got hurt. Literally <laughs> all the pitchers got hurt. Huh. So uh, this is a thing. They're all college guys. All the college guys basically all had Tommy John surgery. Most of them had it during last year, during the 2022 <laughs> season, which really shouldn't be a surprise considering yeah. what happened in 2021 and yep, messing up, true. or sorry, in 2020, messing up everybody's schedule. So, of course, come 2021, everybody breaks down, though some of them are starting to come back and they're starting to throw. So that is giving teams at least a glimpse in a few cases at some of these guys. So it'll be interesting to see what direction the Brewers decide to go here, because there might be some arms that they really liked that potentially could have gone a lot higher in the draft that fall to them down in the 20s. I think they picked 25th or 26th this year. So they could have a guy who falls to them for injury reasons if they want to take a, a like a upside swing on a guy at potentially getting a top end talent who just has had surgery and hasn't thrown since then. So that would be a, an interesting way things could go for them, though they have tended to stay away from they have tended <laughs> to stay away from pitchers right. early on, but not exclusively. Ethan Small was a first round pick under David Stearns. Right. Right. So what I'm hearing is expect the Brewers' first three picks to be guys recovering from Tommy John on buy low opportunities, right? Oh, yeah. So there you go. Oh, that will excite people oh so very much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, draft time is always fun, especially in baseball uh, when you have a struggling offense and you don't draft hitters right away uh, <laughs> because people don't quite make that connection anyway well we could do what the angels did last year james remember they were having such problems getting pitchers and so they literally their entire draft all 20 rounds were pitchers they did not draft <laughs> a hitter in the entire draft it was like uh Goodness that gracious. seems like a a sign that ownership is meddling in places they really shouldn't be meddling just a little bit yes. yeah Eh, one of those guys should pan out. Hopefully it's, it's an odds thing, you know, throw a bunch <laughs> of spaghetti at the wall. Like Paul says. All right. Uh, so yeah, definitely looking forward to that draft preview. Definitely will be worth a listen just to uh, get that insight into what the brewers might do and, and what this year's class looks like. So uh, be on the lookout for that over the next couple of weeks. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the brewers uh, came away with, way with a winning homestand in the last week, maybe kind of a surprise, uh, at least given how, you know, so, some of those series looked like they were going to go. So they split uh, four games set with the Cardinals. Uh, Ryan, you've been noting that season series with the Cardinals is really kind of neck and neck, mm -hmm. uh, almost as even as it can be. Uh, and then they went and they took two out of three from Toronto, a really good, you know, playoff caliber American League team and, and kind of looked pretty impressive doing it the last couple of days, at least. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll skip talking about the, the Friday night game. Adrian Hauser again getting kind of lit up and, and looking kind of rough. But hey, uh, look at the big picture. The Brewers are 42 and 33 now. Seemingly have kind of stabilized things after that eight-game losing streak. They're 10 and 14 in June, uh, which, you know, not great, but isn't too bad considering they lost eight <laughs> games in a row there and they started the month one and nine. So, you know, things maybe turning around a little bit. Are are we feeling, Paul, a little bit better about how the team is constructed now than we were maybe a couple of weeks ago? I don't know that this fundamentally changes how we view how it's constructed because um, it, it's not like this gave us a bunch of new information and now we all think the offense is, you know, great and not great, but good and back on track or anything like that. F fact of the matter is the Blue Jays especially have a, uh, their, their Achilles heels, they're pitching. And, you know, sure. I think the one thing we do forget about the Brewers once in a while when they go through their long spells of not having a good offense is that they do have the ability to beat up on bad pitching. They do it in Cincinnati with some routine. When they run into Pittsburgh's bad pitchers, they put up runs. And the, when they run into, you know, random AL teams like the Blue Jays that um, struggle 
with the pitching end of things, they can still light them up. They, they have at least enough averagey talent there that they'll capitalize on a mismatch. So that's good. And maybe, maybe that's something to hold on to. Um, I, I would say it doesn't really do that for me because once they get to the playoffs, um, they're probably going to not run into a bunch of teams with substandard pitching that they can capitalize on and they'll have their same old problem against high quality pitching. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's nice to see them put up some runs on people. It, it had, you know, been a little while there, and uh, uh, th- they needed to do something also because their pitching is still lacking a little bit of depth right now with people hurt. Um, it's nice to see them put up 10 anytime they can put up 10. Hooray for that. But it doesn't really change my viewpoint of them long term. Uh, the best thing is uh, Rowdy Tella's revenge game is, you know, yes. we were kind of wait- waiting for that to come through, and uh, that's uh, that's fun that that actually happened. Absolutely. Well, I mean, for me, I was never all that worried about them to begin with because I thought that when they were in their doldrums that it was just a downswing, and I took it as this was happening because these are a bunch of injuries happening and because they've been on the road so much and just the, all those games were stacked up, and they were just facing a lot of adverse conditions, and so they looked like crap for a while, and that happens to just about any baseball team. I just saw a thing today. I don't know if you saw this. The Yankees, the most powerful offense in a, quite a while now at this point, was uh, no hit for it was 14 or 15 innings before they finally got it a hit. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't by particularly remarkable pitchers. I mean, the good Astros pitchers, like in general, the Astros have some good pitching, but it wasn't, you know, like remarkable top flight guys. So you're going to have ups and downs in any season. And I always sort of took that for, you know, what that downturn was, was, you know, kind of a confluence of circumstances. And if you look at what the overall offense is at this point, I have the up to the minute numbers on this. (laughs) They're now 13th in Woba in MLB. Um, So they're just slightly above average at 313. Um, I, I don't think that it's a particularly bad group. And that probably undersells it by a little bit just because of the time that a lot of the, the important hitters have still missed and are currently missing in the case of Wong and Renfro and some of those guys. But it looks like we're going to see kind of injuries pulling guys in and out of the lineup this year. I think we've sort of established now with, you know, Wong is now on his second trip to the IL and Renfro's on his second trip. And just about everybody important has missed at least some time, I guess, at this point, right? I, I'm having trouble thinking of anybody who really hasn't. I guess Narvaez's thing was some was COVID, so that wasn't like yeah. a, a true injury, but it was an illness. Yeah, and Yelich hasn't really landed on the ILL, has he? Nope, Yelich has been has yeah. been healthy and a lot yeah. better, by the way, since uh, he's moved into the the leadoff role. Uh, that was yeah. going to be sort of the next point I was going to make about it was. As a leadoff hitter, uh, again, up to the minute numbers on this, uh, 83 plate appearances. He's hitting 306, 398, 417. So an 815 OPS, which that's pretty playable. If you have a guy getting on base at a 398 clip in your leadoff spot, if he can sustain that, he's pretty useful to this team. Like, and But the question then becomes, is this a blip on the radar? Is this just another yeah. weird thing? Right. And... I don't know. Do you do you think this could be a situation where it's because he is in the leadoff role and he's not being asked to be a power hitter like that? There isn't an expectation on him as a leadoff hitter. They basically can just say to him, hey, you just need to go get on base. You do that really well. Go get on base. And if that has freed him up from some of his own expectations and maybe some bad habits or some things he shouldn't have been doing that are suboptimal for his game at this point. Do you think it's possible that just being in the leadoff position and having a different mandate for what he's supposed to do has has improved what he's doing in a sustainable way? Is that possible in your mind? Normally, I'd say no to that just because I don't believe in crap like that. However, I do think he is a head case, and um, I, I do think that... Well, you shouldn't really change your approach when you move to the leadoff spot. If you're a good hitter, you should just continue to be a good hitter. And if you're a bad hitter, you shouldn't like try and poke it into play, or you know, you're not going to be able to walk more than you are. So, and, but anyway, Yelich's one weapon that he's had is, is patience and taking walks. And I, I could definitely see him buying into the what you're supposed to do as a leadoff hitter 
mentality. And if he's not um, out there trying to crush the ball all the time, having that actually pay off a little bit, maybe turn him into, if not the hitter he was for Milwaukee as an MVP, the hitter, the very good hitter he was before he was traded here, which was more of a spray hitter, more of honestly, more of a leadoff hitter than what he ended up turning into. So um, with him, I could actually see it making a difference. I, I'd be interested to see if it sticks, but I at least think it's possible with him. Like the, that story kind of checks out. You know, he's he's a weird player with a weird profile and changing his role might actually work for like the only time in baseball. Well, and there's no pressing reason to move him, right? Oh, no, you should not move him out of the. You should leave him there. Absolutely. <laughs> Till he goes on an 0 for 20 streak. You, you, you leave him there. Yeah, and I, I wanted to mention, too, so the other week when the Brewers were in New York, it gave Ken Rosenthal a chance to write about him and uh, this exact topic, really. the At that point, the move to the leadoff spot had been still somewhat new, but basically, you should dig up this uh, article in The Athletic if you haven't read it yet. It's a couple weeks old now, but still kind of interesting. Basically talking about how the Brewers are trying to find a quote-unquote new way for him to be great with the idea being that this shift to the leadoff spot maybe um, helps unlock some of that or at least takes advantage of his strengths like you guys said taking the walks but also uh, you know possibly you know stepping in to start the game and you get a pitcher who hasn't quite settled in yet he makes a mistake and and we've kind of seen that with Yelly too kind of hitting either it's a first inning home run or, or something like that taking advantage of that as well. So I think that seems to be working out well, but then they did kind of get into the psychology, Paul, uh, speaking of being a case of uh, some of the burden that he might be carrying in that second or third spot, trying to be the guy who has to drive in the runs all the time and then live up to that $200 million contract and all that stuff. And, and maybe this just allows him to kind of step in the box at the start of a game, clean slate and, and, let it rip right so I, I don't know maybe there is something psychologically different about leading off a game but hey hopefully it helps right paul yeah and um one thing i tweeted out this week was just that christian yelich has basically not pulled a home run this year that's not true he's pulled one home run this year exactly <laughs> one um either if you look at his spray chart it's just a big empty white void with a solo shot um <laughs> out in left field which is or uh yeah which is insane um in right field, sorry. I've got my stuff backed up, mixed up. Um, but he's been really a shift beater and an all-fields guy. Um, and I do think if he's in a run-driving-in scenario, that is when he tries to pull the ball and he just doesn't seem to be able to do it. So um, the more you can put him on a in a get-on-base situation and let him try and go to all-fields, the better. I think that really does make a lot of sense given his current profile. Well, and they really just don't need the power from him this team has plenty of power whatever christian yellich is power. doing like the whole place is power they need on people getting on base so yeah you're right. absolutely exactly right. right and so in that aspect if he is providing that on base and getting on base at a 400 clip in front of willie adamas and uh hunter renfro when he comes back and luis urias and rowdy telez if he's doing that that probably is a a Pretty big path to success for the team. Looking at it up to the minute again, uh, 97 home runs for the Brewers has them fourth in MLB behind the Yankees, Braves, Astros. And they're just, you know, a little tick above the, the Blue Jays there. So they are one of the, like, secret, sneaky, power-hitting teams in baseball. I heard this come up on a podcast this week. I can't remember which one it was, but they were like, did you know the Brewers were third in home runs at the time? They were third in home runs. <laughs> like, did you know they were third in home runs? They're like... I did not know that. How did that happen where it escaped notice? And it's because yeah. they get home runs up and down the lineup. This is actually a very uh, it, it's turning into what we thought it was going to be from the beginning, which was a lineup that had a lot of depth from top to bottom, but didn't necessarily have the stars that you normally associate with a good offense in you know, like the two, three, four spots. That's not what this offense is. It is just a lineup that is incredibly deep. And that goes down to the bench, too. You look at Mike Brousseau coming back this week. It was really nice to see him back. And what did he do? First game back in there, he hits a home run uh, against the mm -hmm. Blue Jays and ended up being a, a pretty important home run for them as well. So you just kind of look up and down the lineup and you say that now that you know Lorenzo Cain is gone, uh, there really isn't a severely below average hitter anywhere among the top 
15 or sorry, uh, 14 or 13, sorry, 13 batters on this team. The lowest OPS plus that you see among that group is Luis Urias at 88. Everybody else, like the top 13 batters in terms of plate appearances this year, um, again, excepting Kane, who's no longer on the team, the top 13 batters, Urias at 80 and OPS plus of 88 is as low as it gets. So this is a lineup that is just sort of built to to take teams apart, the, the pitchers apart by you know, attrition throughout the lineup, as opposed to really having great guys at the top. I feel like sometimes that the home runs kind of that total sneaks up on me because it maybe this is just perception, but it feels like so many of the home runs are solo shots, right? Or like the the home runs when they're already <laughs> down big and it's like, eh, okay, whatever. Their on base percentage is still bad, even if their overall right. offense is technically not that bad. So yes, that is that is accurate that there are <laughs> a, a lot of those. But maybe that's a scenario then, too, where Yelich is more valuable in a way at the top of the lineup where he can be the guy to get on base for some of those people as opposed to him coming up with nobody on. Right. So I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it works out in a way. But yeah, I mean, we'll to the see. extent they're weak, it, that is how they're weak. Like they everybody can bop it out of the park. Everybody also sucks at getting on base. So that um, Mike, Mike Brasso, Victor Caratini have good on base percentages that that much is true. And Yelich, um, you know, does too. But I, I think at least with Caratini, we can agree that's kind of a small sample size mirage to a large extent. Victor Caratini is not that good. He, we've seen a lot of him. Um, and that's probably true of Brasso as well. But everybody else is like 300 or lower or just a platoon guy like Keston who's getting on base a lot, but not going to last either. And there's not enough 333s and above. Like Omar's there. The catching, of course, we've mentioned is quite good. But everybody else is like a 300 on base percentage guy. That's not, that's a problem. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you're going to bop a, a multi-run home run out, and you're going to um, lose most of the games when you don't have somebody on base for those. And that's kind of how they work. So um, this addresses that specific weakness. They could use another person who can get on base in this lineup too. But it's a start. Yeah, and to put a finer point on it, they're 19th in on-base percentage, so well below the league average yeah. in terms of on-base percentage. But that's because of the batting average component of it. They're actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in walks. <laughs> yep. So they, they, they walk they a lot. Cannot hit. <laughs> yeah, they really it's, can't. it's the batting average thing that's getting them, which is kind of also indicative. Like The Brewers are the most 2022 offense that <laughs> could possibly exist, right? Like they're, they're so indicative of all the things that you associate with this year's particular brand of offensive crapulence, uh, where it, it ends up still being like kind of good. Like it, the, in, in the end, they're, they're an above average offense in terms of their output right now. But it just looks like crap from really what does. our expectations are, <laughs> like what we associate with good offense. And I bet you that even really teams that have truly, really good offenses right now, uh, their fans probably look at it and go, I just don't feel like this offense is that good because they're probably rocking, you know, like a 230 batting average as a team. And that happens to be really good this year, but it, it just doesn't feel that way from what yeah. we've, uh, you know, acculturated ourselves to with like how we expect offense to look. I feel like every Brewer game is just a contest to hit three home runs before they make 27 outs. And that those are, <laughs> those are the only outcomes that are allowed. That's what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, that, right now the league leaders in batting average are the Mets and they have a 260 team batting average. That's the best in baseball geez, is a Mets. 260. Yep. Noted offensive juggernaut, the New York Mets. That's mm. actually kind of surprising. And the Brewers are down at the 24th spot, up oh, 25th spot. So they're they're way down towards the bottom. It is the thing that is dragging the rest of it down. And some of that is the strikeouts. Like we can say that this is really obviously a three true outcomes team. They are uh, fifth in strikeouts in MLB, which is not what you want, but also something that I think they've just sort of accepted as part of the price of doing business and building the team the way they're building it. Yeah. So at what we're saying is there's plenty of room for opportunity for growth. Let's look at it that way. <laughs> yes. yes uh, put a positive spin on this. So it, they have room to grow. And I guess maybe it's a good thing, you know, that 
they're starting to get some of these pieces back. So I guess if I'm feeling more encouraged, it's that they were able to put up, you know, 10 runs on the Jays on Sunday and, and they don't have Colton Wong in the off in the lineup. And he should be back on Tuesday, according to all reports, according, uh, as well as Brandon Woodruff. He's on track to rejoin the ta- team in Tampa. So uh, they're at least getting a couple of those pieces back. But as we noted, Hunter Renfro, one of the big boppers in the lineup, going to be uh, probably out for a while. It sounds like that hamstring injury is probably worse than they thought it was. So uh, never good. Hamstrings always suck. You know, once you hurt one, it, it's tough to come back from quickly. So uh, that may be something where the Brewers need to address uh, that sooner rather than later, too. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. But uh, I, I guess maybe kind of encouraging going forward. And I think also helpful is the fact that once we get past these two games against Tampa Bay, uh, it's an 11 game stretch with nothing but pirates and Cubs. Right. So Paul, like you were Mm -hmm. saying, the Brewers know how to beat up on crappy pitching and enough is coming along the way that, you know, maybe things should be all right. Yeah. Should be fine. Um, They, they like the, they, they own these stretches. I think when the season was just getting started, we got a lot of questions. Just the Brewers seem to be good at beating up on bad teams. Is that enough to win the division? And I believe our answers were uniformly, well, yes, yes, it is. Yep. <laughs> they, play, they play a lot of bad ones in the division. And so they should, uh, you know, it's baseball. They might go in the tank. You never know, but they should probably do well over this next rank, this uh, next set of games with the Cubs and, and the Pirates coming to town, or I guess both places. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, you know, and the Pirates, they have O'Neill Cruz up now, so maybe not as much of a pushover as before, but their <laughs> pitching still stinks. Um, the Cubs did the Brewers a solid and, and, and took, I believe, two out of three from the Cardinals over the weekend. Uh, so the Brewers have a, a one-game lead in the NL Central, so that's also nice of them to do that. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this plays out, but I think maybe a little bit more of an encouraging stretch, and it's just kind of nice to see them dig themselves out of that eight game hole that they put themselves in right they they look like a competent baseball team again i guess is what i'm saying i feel like o'neill cruz is like what uh what javi baez pretends to be um it Hmm. uh with flashy plays in the field throws 90 miles or 98 miles an hour in the field and just kind of runs really fast um and beats everything out he's fun He's also just a giant person. So he's a, he's, yeah. it's also fun to see that too. Yes, he is a giant person. <laughs> yes. I, I love the fact that the Pirates started a six five shortstop and a five eleven first baseman in the same game. That's <laughs> Oh, he's not six five. He's six seven, maybe yeah, seven, six sorry. eight. Like, seven. Yeah, six he is, seven. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is, he is a large ridiculous. human. Very large human. Uh hopefully he can stick at shortstop for a while because that's just a fun fact. But hey, definitely has the arm for it. All right, uh, let's move on to questions this week. We've got some Patreon questions. Of course, they get uh, question priority here on the program. And I, I guess I want to start with like a two-for-one special here because Mark Podscarby and Jeffrey Emenecker both asking about Ethan Small, who, uh, you know, turned in another good start in AAA. But on Sunday, it was Chichi Gonzalez getting the start, as we mentioned. So uh let's start with mark who's asking why are the brewers starting chichi gonzalez over ethan small and then jeffrey asking why haven't we seen ethan small recently instead of what we are rolling out there so uh kind of two two of the same questions but ryan i guess what's the the logic here or the reasoning you think for going with chichi gonzalez over ethan small well so the first time they did it it was purely an emergency situation ethan small had just started he had like started either the day before or two days before. And it was because they didn't know they were going to need him because when Ethan small got hurt, it was very close to him making his next start, which they thought he was going to make based on where he was at that point. So it sort of put them behind the eight ball. They didn't have a lot of choices. They needed to bring up and, and use somebody and Chichi Gonzalez was there. So it was an emergency situation and, and they just had to go with it. Uh, The second one is a little bit more interesting, and why they chose to do that, I don't know. Ethan Small had a couple of somewhat rough starts in AAA uh, leading up to his last start on June 25th, so the one that he made after Gonzalez's last start, and uh, he went seven strong in his last start. So before that, it had been kind of a a mixed bag. He had had some ERA ballooners before that and uh, had this one strong start against Gwinnett, and then 
you know, they just decided to stay with Chichi Gonzalez. And why might a team do that? Lots of reasons. They may have liked what they saw from him. Uh, they may have just not wanted to upset the apple cart, thought that it would be silly because chances are at this point with Brandon Woodruff coming back and with the Brewers having three off days before the uh, All-Star break, which is three weeks, starts three weeks from today. So with knowing those things, knowing that they're probably going to go down to a five-man rotation or they're going to be at a five-man rotation for the next few weeks, they knew that this was kind of a one-off start, even though it was his second start. They knew that this was going to be the last one for Chichi Gonzalez. So they, my guess is just thought, well, why upset the apple cart? Why bring up Ethan Small for one start when we would just be sending him down again anyway to keep starting because they're going to be using him in that role here. So they, I don't think they would bring him up to pitch him out of the bullpen. So I think it was just one of those things where it, there was no pressing reason to bring up small over Gonzalez for this one start. And it certainly looked like Gonzalez was going to get his head handed to him in the first inning. I thought, <laughs> yeah. oh, this is, this is headed for yeah, Craig council punt territory. Yeah. And then both times. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then the team stabilized and he stabilized and, you know, it helps when I think yeah, a pitcher sees their offense, just racking up run after run after run, and then gives the pitcher the lead and they could start pitching, you know, downhill a little bit at that point and not necessarily worrying about being too fine. And knowing that uh, they have a little bit of wiggle room to to do stuff, it, it does very often free up pitchers and you get some decent performances from them at that point. So I, I don't expect to see Chichi Gonzalez long term here, but I don't think we should read much into the fact that they decided to start him on Sunday. Yeah, I, I guess. Paul, there's also a really good chance we see Ethan Small soon-ish, right? Like, uh, assuming that, uh, I guess, unless the Brewers make a trade for a starting pitcher or something, I, I think it's safe to assume he's going to be pitching or making starts in the second half of the season in these scenarios, right? Probably, yes. Um, and, I mean, that one of the reasons that Ryan's correct is there's a, a plan for Ethan Small. There's always a plan for every Brewer young pitcher that comes up, and usually they do get get them a spot uh, appearance now and then like small had earlier um but they they probably do want to keep him on a set rotation down there they're probably working on things with with him and it's not like it's not like he's like beating the door down to get up to the majors he's been good for sure um but he's had hiccups now and then as well and you know it, they they don't if they needed him bad enough to keep the season going he'd be up already um that's that's the other thing as well. Um, but, you know, these little um, th these little spots they run into, they also used to evaluate guys. Um, Chichi Gonzalez has been basically terrible his entire career from what I can tell. But he, he's pitched in Colorado, which can do a number on your head. And, you know, every once in a while they see something in somebody that they think they can fix. Maybe, um, you know, add, add a pitch to an arsenal and suddenly a guy's good. So they bring those guys in, they see what they can do with them, they shuffle them off, and then they go to the real plan if they don't work out, which is what Small will be eventually. Yeah, and Small has development to do. Like, he is still throwing about six walks per nine innings at AAA. Yes, the strikeouts are good, but yeah, six walks per nine against AAA hitters. You yeah. have to then adjust that upward and think that major league hitters are going to be even more disciplined and, you know, and, and make him work even harder than that. So... Yeah, there's still stuff that needs to be done. You, we have to remember that development, especially of pitchers, is not a linear process. Guys have to go through these steps and figure out what is going to work. And I think that Paul mentioned this. I mentioned this back when Ethan Small was up for his brief cup of coffee before that part of the value of that was showing Ethan Small. This is what it's like to pitch in the big leagues. This is what you're going to have to face. These are the corrections and the mistakes you're going to have to fix. You need to get your command sorted out or you're not going to have success. It's just not going to work against big league pitchers. You're not going to have you're not going to be able to uh, to dominate the rest of the hitters the way that you dominate the rest of the hitters to make up for those walks the way you have in AAA doing it at the big leagues. You're going to have to get better. And so they showed him that he saw that. And I'm sure he's been working on it in AAA, but we haven't really seen it yet. And so, yes, we, we will probably see Ethan Small again, but he has work to do. Even though the, the overall ERA is good and we still think he's a good prospect and all of that, but there's work to do. 
And the Brewers are very, very good at getting pitchers to go through those steps. They have a very well-established track record at this point. So don't read anything too deep into this. The fact that they're they're hesitating on bringing him up right now and they're preferring somebody with the mediocre track record of Chichi Gonzalez to him. It's just one of those things that happens with pitcher development. Right. Or even Jason Alexander too, you know, sure. like I, I feel like he would not be one at the start of the season that you would expect to get multiple starts ahead of Ethan small. But uh, you know, he, he's managed to at least walk the tightrope finally and, and get out of those jams. Uh, even if uh, Ryan and I were panicking as Craig sent him out for a third time through the order against <laughs> Goldie and Arenado the other day, but uh, Hey, it worked out fine. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I have no doubts that Ethan Small will be up eventually, too. All right. Next question comes from Jay Google saying, It's Jim Bowden season. <laughs> he ranked his top 12 players that could be on the move, and he had the Brewers listed on about 90% of those players. Uh, besides Brian Reynolds, which would you like the most? So uh, I pulled this up. <laughs> <laughs> on the athletic and yes brian reynolds is top on the list uh and yes he lists the brewers as a best team fit along with you know eight other teams so yeah i was gonna uh, say half the league there. basically uh yeah. <laughs> definitely could use brian reynolds number two is wilson Contreras. brewers not on that list because as uh, we have talked about the brewers catching situation actually not one of their problems in the offense uh, number three, Josh Bell, Brewers are listed there. Number four, Trey Mancini, Brewers are listed there. Number five, Andrew Benintendi, Brewers are listed there. Number <laughs> six, Anthony Santander. I don't think that's a name we've brought up, but uh, Jim Brown thinks the Brewers should look at that. Uh, number seven, Dominic Smith, uh, not listed there, which is kind of weird that yeah, you would yeah. list Josh Bell and not Dom Smith. Biggest question hey. mark on the whole thing is, I think, the Brewers not being in on Dominic Smith per Jim Bowden. I feel <laughs> like he just didn't control V, right? Is, that's my guess. <laughs> so to be fair here to uh, this whole situation, he's not really reporting that these teams are in on them. No, he's just saying just that best like, fit. this is just best fit. So it's literally just him farting out something into the ether and just putting it out there, which is what he it's does just... and what he's done. And somehow has pulled a paycheck for 15 years since he lost his yeah. job with the reds. Yeah. It's just the logical inconsistency there of, you know, every other first baseman, but not Don Smith, right? Anyway. Josh Bell fits, uh, but not Dominic yeah. Smith. Right. Yeah. Uh, number eight, Paul Noonan favorite Ramon Laureano. Uh, Brewers listed there as one of three teams. Number nine, Whit Merrifield, Whit who Merrifield. has been uh, horrible this year. Uh, but hey, <laughs> the Brewers could still use him, according to Jim Bowden. Uh, number 10, Mitch Hanniger, former Brewers minor leaguer. Hey, why not uh, put the Brewers on that list? Number 11, Nelson Cruz, ditto, uh, put him on there. Uh, and then number 12, Adam Frazier. What the hell? Brewers could use him too. So... Uh, yes, that's what 10 of 12 on there. Mm -hmm. uh, out of those, Paul, uh, I guess we know your love for Ramon Laureano. Is, is that your pick here, or is there another name on that list you really like? Um, I, I like him best, but like if I, I think I would like a bopper or two, so like Josh Bell, uh, that'd be fine. I'd be down for that. that Mancini'd be fun, yeah. Yep, I mean, Brian Reynolds too, but that's not gonna happen, so nope. it's silliness. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's probably, they're all actually not, there's not really a, except for Whit Merrifield, who's an old non-bat, they're, they're not, all of them would be fine and welcome, but, uh, well, uh, I think, Adam Frazier, no, I don't think so. look, well, Adam <laughs> Frazier's hitting 221, 287, 298. Oh, oh, oh sorry, Dominic yeah. Smith sucks too. Um, so there's that, but yeah, he's not on the list for the Brewers. So that's, <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is just more Jim Bowden nonsense and whatever. I had a good time laughing about I, yeah, it today. I, I don't want Adam Frazier at all. I, I Does anybody want Adam Frazier at all? No, no. not even the Mariners want Adam Frazier. Yeah. No, that's the problem. Yeah, so not, not him. Everybody else I'm okay with. Yeah, but another name that came up this week, and I think it was Tim Young, I think it was Tim Cy Young, who on Twitter brought up, uh, I think he, he said that you'll you'll get, or maybe it was Mike Hank. It was somebody I think who listens to this podcast said you'll get <laughs> you'll get uh, Christian Walker and you'll like it. 
<laughs> it was just like, and then I actually looked at what Christian Walker has oh, done. Oh, God. And you talked yourself into and it. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is, well, first off, this is the most Brewers profile you've ever seen. He's yeah, hitting 206, really 307, 478. He has 19 home runs. And his <laughs> his uh, expected batting average, so his, his real batting average is 206. His expected batting average is 277. So, yeah, I mean, I'd be all about uh, getting Christian Walker, of course, at a, at a discount. I'll take him on a discount. So I I do enjoy those sorts of things. And, I mean, come on. The guy has 19 home runs. So yeah. he is definitely mashing. And the Brewers could probably use to not play Andrew McCutcheon as much as they have been, though he's been a little bit better lately. His numbers are up a little bit. He's but been good in June. Yeah. For two weeks, like he's been making. Yeah. yeah. But that's still a little dodgy overall. Like, Kutch is not the prototypical uh, DH because he doesn't bring a lot in the way of power. So if you're going to do this, you bring in Walker. If you were to do something like that, you'd be bringing him in. He would play some at first base, but primarily as a DH. And that would mean that you'd see a lot more of McCutcheon, I think, in the outfield, especially if Renfro continues to be hurt. And if that is more of a long-term thing, but yeah, it's, it is whatever at this point. Between Christian Walker and Christian Yelich, put them together and you might have like one good Christian on your team. So there's that too. <laughs> well, you have, they're like a, um, the missing pieces of the puzzle for each other. Yes. Like and Yang. Like exactly. You have one guy has power and nothing else. And the other guy has everything else and not the power. So you <laughs> exactly. combine them together and you get, it's like a, a super Megatron at that Boom. point, right? Yes. There you go. Maybe exactly. that's the fix. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I, I, there's lots of people on that list. Like I said, Trey Mancini just seems like fun because uh, he, he can match the ball. But uh, other than that, I mean, yeah, I think is good, but I want him for meme purposes. His name is fun. <laughs> you can do a lot with that. Exactly. That's the entire reason he was popular in Boston. Correct. So, there That's you go. It. <laughs> oh, okay. So actually, I have to I have to amend this because it wasn't either of the two people that I mentioned as possibility. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher your last name, Abe, but it's Abe uh, Jareski that was bringing uh, this up to me. They see, and he said they're going to trade for Christian Walker, and you will like it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a very Sternsy move. It would sure. be the most Sternsy move. Yeah, yes. it would. Yep, yep. That's that's what happens when the the trade price for Ramon Laureano is too high, right? So, uh, let's go to our next Patreon question from Stephen Paff, asking, "What do you guys think of a Ramon Laureano trade? It looks like he has some control left and plays solid center field. Would it take too much to get him?" So. I know you guys kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but Paul, any concern that maybe like the trade package to get him doesn't make it quite worth it? Maybe it's hard. I think this one's tough. Ryan and I, and a lot of people actually argued about it a lot on Twitter because everybody's in agreement that they want Ramon Laureano, but uh, it's hard to tell exactly what other teams will think of him value wise. And also, who um, will be around contending who needs a, a center fielder as much as Milwaukee does. There are a few teams that might, um, but there also might not be by the time trades actually happen. And I think pegging his demand is actually pretty tricky. So um, I, I, I won't speak for Ryan, but I could see this being very um, kind of varied. First of all, Oakland will um, likely ask for quite a bit. Um, they don't pay people, but they like... Um, uh, they like cheap prospects, um, and I, I'm honestly not sure. Um, I, I think this is one where you do kind of wait and see how the market develops on him before you you get too invested in it. Um, and I could see not having to give up a top prospect for him, um, but I could also see there being quite a robust market where there there are some top 100s that enter the fray as uh, as offered up. So um, I think he's hard to peg. Yeah, I think that that's fair, and I think that this also does really show you how dumb Jim Bowden is because he has 10 different teams listed as being interested in center fielder Brian Reynolds, and he has three different teams being interested in center fielder uh, Ramon Laureano. Laureano. Yep. So that doesn't make any sense. Like if, if Reynolds even is on the market at all, which I think we're kind of skeptical that he's going to be, uh, 
like, why would a team that if you were interested in Reynolds, so you presumably were looking for help in center field, why would you then not be interested in Ramon Laureano, which doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I think that it, it has the potential to be a lot, though. A lot in this market is relative because we're just not really the price that teams pay for players is not what it used to be in terms of prospects. It's just we're in a different world than what we're used to, you know, from before where to get a good player, especially a good player with control, you had to give up some serious prospect capital just for the most part, isn't really true anymore. Teams hold on to their prospects. They really highly value their prospects. And I guess what I did say on Twitter was, I don't know that I would necessarily be happy about trading everybody uh, in the system besides Joey Weimer and Jackson Churio to get Ramon Laureano, but I'd be willing to listen on anybody else. Like if, if somebody, if, if Billy Bean or actually be David Forrest, if they say like, we're not going to do this without Jackson Churio or Joey Weimer, you hang up, you're not going to do those deals, but just about anybody else would be worth having a conversation about, I think. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely a, a chance that this could get away from them. And in that case, we've seen David Stearns be more than willing to walk away. And we've also seen him be very willing to get creative at the trade deadline to figure out different ways to adjust the roster where, you know, they brought in Mike Moustakis because they had a hole at second base and Mike Moustakis had never played second <laughs> base before. Exactly. You know, or and then they ended up moving Travis Shaw over there who had never played second base before. So it was all just very strange. The point of all that is that, Ultimately, the Brewers are going to do things that you don't expect them to do. How many of us had Eduardo Escobar as a guy we thought the Brewers were going to end up with? <laughs> right. And then he ended up on the Brewers last year, and it made perfect sense. It was fine. Yeah. So I think something else that's kind of interesting about a Ramon Laureano trade, and you know, I missed all the fun last week talking about this, but I, I know it's been brought up on other podcasts and stuff too, that Oakland kind of operates a little bit differently in these trade situations too, right? Because as you guys mentioned, they are cheap and they like cheap labor, uh, but they also tend to, I guess, prefer other organizations develop players first. They, they tend to trade for guys who are closer to the majors, I think, than maybe a lot of other teams would too. Mm -hmm. So I guess, does that maybe factor into something like this too? Like is say Bryce Terang more appealing to them than somebody who's maybe 19 years old in a ball, you know, and, and how does that, I guess, Ryan benefit the brewers or uh, hurt them? Well, they, they're weird about what the different things they look for. It, it, they grab sort of different players than what people generally expect. And yeah, they, they tend to like guys who have certain skill sets that they can work with somebody who does one thing really well, is a thing that they they look for like when they brought in Kristen Pache in the deal uh this year when they sent out Matt Olson mm -hmm. that they got a guy who has legit stud defensive abilities that are present right now and they're going to work on developing the rest of it up as they go so they they they're weird about what they look for uh it's not Always guys who are close, though it often does tend to be. Sometimes it's guys who are further away. I think of the Marcus Simeon get back when they did that. I think that was an exchange for what Josh Donaldson. That was. I think so. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. So they they just have weird. Nobody ever sees what the A's are doing, and they're like so far ahead of the curve. They were the ones that first figured out that you want to you know elevate and celebrate, and so get a bunch of guys who hit a lot of balls in the air, and. They they did that and all of a sudden they were really good out of nowhere when nobody really expected it in was it 2013 2014, so they yeah they catch teams by surprise constantly and that's because they have to because they have to be on the cutting edge. So what exactly that means I don't know. It it means that you're going to potentially uh, give up guys you're not expecting. <laughs> I think is the the fairest way to say that you're not necessarily <laughs> going to see it coming. What uh, they're going to be asking for. Sure. Uh, one last Patreon question from Adam Post, and it kind of tacks onto this uh, discussion here. So he's asking, with all the Brewers Twitter chatter about a Ramon Laureano trade, how much would the Brewers need to give up to also get Frankie <laughs> Montas in that trade? And would you do it? So I guess, Ryan, we'll start with you again. Like, 
how does that change the math if you were to ask for Frankie Montas on top of Loriano? I think that changes it a lot. I think Montas is a much more valuable asset on this trade market than Loriano is. Loriano has some questions about, you know, the fact that he is coming off the PD suspension and right. Yep. Uh, it doesn't have the the firmly established track record of being really good. Whereas right now, Frankie Montas is legit really, really good. And I think there are very few teams that are contending who couldn't happily, the Brewers could happily take Frankie Montas and put him in this rotation. And it's a substantial upgrade over what they have. And that's hard to do when you're as good as the Brewers are with their pitching. But that's right. just how good Montas is. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, he would cost a lot more, and I'd probably do it, but, you know, never know without specifics. Yeah, exactly. I mean, then you're definitely talking about giving up a top-end guy. Like, yeah. I can't imagine you're Then doing Joey it. Weimer and, and Jackson Churio maybe enter the chat, right? Like, that, it, it's hard to imagine getting an arm like that without getting high-end talent, right? So, I mm-hmm. don't know. I agree. All right. Uh, thanks for all the questions this week, everybody. A reminder, two bucks a month gets you question priority here. Uh, you can also always send us a question on Twitter, even if you're not a patron at MKE Tailgate on Twitter. You can also follow all of us. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L on Twitter. You also get a shout out here on the program when you become a new patron. And uh, aside from that, we would appreciate your support in a different way, too. You can always go and leave us a rating for this podcast. Help us kind of crawl up those ranks and and show up in more people's feeds. And a reminder, if you give us a five-star review, Paul will happily read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. Well, I don't know about happily, Paul, but you will read it, right? <laughs> it's been happily sometimes, not if it's the B movie, but... uh Yep, it's it's open right now. None this week. Uh, it's still Bob's from last week sitting up there, which is good. It's a good one. It's nice. I like it. But uh, it's uh, that's open and available for you. Always good. Always good. So uh, again, Paul will basically only check Apple Podcasts if you want something read. Uh, you know, rate us and review us there. But also would appreciate that the ratings on on whatever your other platform is. And while you're there, hit the hit that subscribe or follow button uh, on Apple podcast, iTunes, whatever they're calling it. As you guys said, uh, Spotify, pocket casts, anywhere else you listen to podcasts these days, please do hit that button. You'll get that push alert on your phone. Every time Ryan posts a new episode Uh, and we will be back after this next week to talk more brewers baseball and, and hopefully more brewers wins. So we'll see how it all goes. Hopefully nobody else gets hurt and hope you all have a good week. We'll see you next time here on Milwaukee's Tailgate.